Galatians chapter 2. We'll be continuing our series through this letter this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you again and we ask now that you would quiet our minds and our hearts as we open your word before us. And we seek to hear from you, O Lord. We seek to hear your voice. Because as we read your word, as I preach from it, these are your words. You are speaking to your people through your word. And Father, I pray that they would see that and understand it, your people who are sitting now before me, that they would receive and accept these words as coming from your very own mouth. And as we continue in Paul's letter to the Galatians, Father, as we continue to see his argument that he is setting before us, that his words that he wrote down long ago, that they come from you. You gave the Apostle Paul his message, the gospel message that he preached, and that we continue to read today in the 21st century. May we know and understand that they come from you, and may we receive them with your authority. Father, may your word accomplish its purposes this morning. May it strengthen the weak. May it humble the proud. May it bring back the wanderer and may it save the lost. And may we receive your words with delight. May we enjoy them. And it's in Christ's name we ask and pray these things. Amen. Well, throughout uh, most of chapter 1 and chapter 2 now, we have been looking at Paul's defense of himself and his defense of the gospel message that he preaches. As we've been going through most of chapter 1 and chapter 2, that's what we've been seeing. That's what Paul has primarily been doing. He has been setting before, originally, the Galatian Christians in first century, in that context, he was setting his argument before them in this letter, but now this argument is set before you, Alt's Chapel, Christian. And we've been looking at these accusations. We've been seeing that these accusations from some false teachers that had infiltrated the church at that time, the Galatian churches in that area, they had come in and they were saying that Paul didn't receive his apostolic authority directly from God, that he didn't receive his gospel message directly from Jesus Christ and that he's also a man pleaser. He seeks the approval of man and not the approval of God. So those accusations were being put against Paul. And so his defense that he's setting before us, his argument is to show you that those things are not true. They're lies. You should not believe them. And what we've seen... The, the evidence that he's been bringing before us is that his life before he became a Christian proves that those accusations are not true. What happened at his conversion shows that those accusations are not true. What happened after his conversion showed that those accusations are not true. And then last week, he was showing us that his second trip that he made to Jerusalem also showed that those accusations were not true because he primarily went on that second trip to Jerusalem not to meet with the, the apostles, the, the pillars that were there, Peter, James, and John. 
He did meet with them, but primarily he was there for famine relief. And then he had an encounter with some false brothers while he was there. And he stood against them. He did not give way to their demands to distort the the truth of the gospel. No, Paul stood against them so that the truth would be preserved for these Christians and for you. And then we saw that Peter, James, and John, they received Paul's message and they recognized that his message was in fact from God and there was unity. They gave Paul the right hand of fellowship. There was unity amongst Paul and the other apostles. And now this morning here within verses 11 to 14, which are the verses we are specifically going to be looking at this morning, within these verses Paul is going to again, for the final time, put some evidence before you that show those accusations are not true. And the example, the evidence that he's going to be putting before us this morning is that the Apostle Paul is even willing to oppose another apostle, namely Peter. Paul, for the sake of the truth of the gospel, is willing to oppose another apostle, namely Peter. And the way that Paul's going to lay this out in verses 11 to 14, in verse 11, Paul's going to tell us that Peter comes to Antioch, they're where Paul's located at in Syria. Peter's going to come and Paul's going to oppose him. We're going to see that in verse 11. And then verses 12 to 13, Paul's going to describe to us what Peter did, what Peter did wrong, why Paul had to oppose him in the first place. And then in verse 14, we're going to see how Paul reacts to Peter and what he did wrong, how he opposes him, what he says to him. So that's what we're going to see as we walk through these verses together. And I want you to remember, as I've been saying, as we've been looking at Paul's argument, his argument is being set before you. Originally, he put this before first century Christians because of what the false teachers were doing. But now, we in the 21st century are called to ask ourselves the same questions. Are we going to believe what the Apostle Paul is saying here? Are we going to accept the truth from Paul as if it comes from the very mouth of God? This is the message of God being proclaimed by Paul's mouth. Because if we don't, if we don't accept Paul's words, his gospel message, what he's talking about throughout this letter and what we're going to continue to see throughout the letter of Galatians, then we're not going to accept it with the weight that He intends for you to accept it with. Because if this is just the message of a mere man, then you can kind of write off what you don't like. If Paul says something to you that you don't necessarily like or agree with, then you can change it. Like those false brothers, those false teachers were trying to do in the first century. You can change it if it's from a man. But it's not from a man. These are the words of God. 
This is God's good news to lost sinners. And you must accept it that way, with that weight bearing down on it. The weight of God. His words. So remember that as we, for the final time, look at Paul's argument. Because it makes a big difference of how you're going to read and listen to the rest of the letter. Whenever he starts arguing from Scripture. And then he applies it to your life. And also for the entire Bible. Everything that Paul's ever written. So let's, let's read these verses together. Beginning in, I'm going to begin in verse 6 in chapter 2. Beginning in verse 6. Hear the, the words of the Lord. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential... added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised, worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, They gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So last week, we left off in verses 1 to 10, specifically in the latter part of those verses, with everything going well, right? The Apostle Paul had made his journey back to Jerusalem, he had met with the apostles there, the the pillars, Peter, James, and John. And it ended up with unity, the right hand of fellowship being given to Paul. It was seen that Paul, Peter, James, and John, and the rest of the apostles, they all preached the same gospel message. And And their apostolic authority is all equal. It has come from God. So... Everything's going good. We left off with everything going well. Hunky-dory, you could say. But now we come to verse 11. And by the way that Paul begins verse 11, you can see that he's he's doing this to show that something's changed. He begins verse 11 with the word but. But when Cephas or Peter, it's another name for Peter, Cephas, it means rock, the, the name that Jesus gave to Peter, rock. 
But when Peter came to Antioch, so something has changed. The situation has shifted. We left off last week with there being unity, but now something else has entered into the picture and it's causing strife. Because Paul says that when Peter comes to Antioch, he has to oppose him. Now we don't know why Peter came to Antioch. Paul doesn't say. There's no specific reason given telling us why Peter traveled to Antioch, which was located in Syria. This was Paul's headquarters, his missionary headquarters, where he did and spent a lot of his time and did a lot of his work, his ministry. We don't know why Peter came. Maybe he came to just pay a visit to to see how things in Antioch were going. Maybe to encourage the brothers there. But Paul says that while he's there, opposition occurs. Peter shows up, he comes for his visit, and he has to oppose him to his face because he stood condemned. Peter stands in the wrong in this verse. He is in the wrong. He has done something wrong. Paul has seen something in Peter that has made him contradict him, oppose him to his face, call him out. Now, what's going on? You know, what's, what's, such, what's the big deal? What problem could be going on that causes two apostles to contradict one, one another? Paul tells us in verse 12, He tells us that before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and he separated himself. So Peter, upon his visit, had been eating with the Gentiles. He had been fellowshipping with them. He had been eating with the Gentile Christians there. Now I want to remind you that this is a big deal. A Jewish person eating with a non-Jewish person, Gentile, is a big deal. And I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 11 so you can you know, kind of get a picture of why this is such a big deal. They weren't supposed to be eating with one another. According to Jewish law that they had been going by for thousands of years, the Old Testament law, they were not supposed to be eating or defiling themselves with Gentile people, breaking food laws, eating things that they were not supposed to be eating. But Peter had been shown that this was okay from God. He had been shown that it was okay to eat with Gentiles, that the food laws didn't matter anymore. It was okay to eat anything. The food laws had been done away with. Jesus had fulfilled these things. The Old Testament law was, in a way, done away with. That righteousness was not gained by the law. Peter knew this. So it was okay for Peter to be eating with the Gentiles. It was okay. And in chapter 11 of Acts, we not only see or get a picture of the seriousness of what's going on here, but we also see the the vision that Peter was given. We see Peter talking about what God had shown him that makes it okay. So I want us to read together in Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. 
And what, and what Peter is about to be talking about here in verse 11, excuse me, chapter 11, is what had previously happened in chapter 10. So we read in chapter 11, Now the apostles and their brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to the uncircumcised men and ate with them. They're criticizing Peter because he had gone and met with these Gentile people and preached the gospel with them. He had fellowshiped with them. He's being criticized because according to the circumcision party, according to the Old Testament law, this was wrong. This was a big deal. A Jewish person entering into a fellowship meal with Gentile people would defile them. It would make them unclean before the Lord. So they're criticizing Peter and they say, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained to them in order. He says, I was in the city of Joppa praying and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me. And we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as, as us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how He said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as He gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, pay very careful attention to what He's about to say next. Who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. So God had revealed to Peter, through this vision of this sheet descending down from heaven, and telling him to rise, kill, and eat what was ever, all of these different animals that were on the sheet, and these men coming to him, and him preaching the gospel to these Gentile people and them receiving it and the Holy Spirit be given, being given to them just like Jewish believers. Through all of this, Peter saw that there's no distinction being made anymore. Gentiles are saved just like Jewish believers are saved. There's no distinction being made. And so that's why Peter here in chapter 2 upon his visit to Antioch, 
eats with the Gentiles. It's okay because God had showed, had revealed to him it's okay. There's no reason to make a big deal out of what's being served to you on the plate. The differences between these traditions. It's okay. God had revealed that to Peter. So if God had revealed that to Peter and he knows the truth, why does he draw back? Why does he stop doing it? If God had made known to him the truth, that it's okay that you to eat with Gentiles, that you don't have to keep these food laws, that righteousness is not received through keeping these laws, why does he draw back? Well, Paul says that these certain men come from James. They come from Jerusalem, being sent by the apostle James. Now we need to stop here for a moment because it could be very easy for us to read this verse and say, what do you mean they were sent from the Apostle James? Is James in... Is he contradicting Paul too? Is he sending these men to tell Peter, hey, you you shouldn't be eating with these people. That's wrong. Is James doing that? Are these men representing James in this moment whenever they come and they start putting pressure on Peter? And start telling him, you know, you shouldn't be eating with the Gentiles. What are you doing? We're Jewish men. You're not supposed to be doing that. You're the Apostle Peter. You're supposed to know that. Well, these men were sent from James, and it's very possible that James from his own mouth sent them. But they are not representing the Apostle James correctly. Because what did we see last week? James was one of the apostles who gave the right hand of fellowship to Paul, right? In Jerusalem where we saw last week, James saw the message that Paul was preaching and he said, Amen! We recognize that your message is from God. There was no contradiction. He added nothing to Paul. And also in Acts chapter 15, a Jerusalem council would take place where all of the apostles would come together. And James would be one of the apostles that would stand up and he would fight for this very truth that's being fought for here in Acts chapter 2. James would stand up and say that Gentiles should not be bothered. They should not have a stumbling block block set before them. Don't tell the Gentiles that they need to keep the Old Testament law. And James would then tell the other apostles and tell the Christians there that we need to send a letter out to the Gentile churches because people have come from us saying, proclaiming a false message, saying that these words have come from our mouth and they indeed have not. So people were going out and saying that the apostles were validating their message. They were going around like here in this context, in this chapter of Galatians, they were going around and saying to the Galatians, hey, you need to keep the Old Testament law. We're representing the apostles. You need to listen. When Acts chapter 15, you see very clearly that that's not the case. James is being falsely represented here. The apostle James 
his, his reputation, his view of the gospel truth, it's not being represented correctly here. These are clearly false brothers trying to come in and be, once again, sneaky. So they come in, these men, they come to Antioch, probably saying that they came you know, from James, uh, validation from the Apostle James, and they start putting pressure on Peter. So in that moment, did they somehow convince Peter that what he was shown by God was wrong? Did they somehow convince Peter that the truth that had been revealed to him was wrong? Did they convince Peter to shift his understanding on the gospel? No, that's not what happened. What does Paul say? He says, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself. Why? Fearing the circumcision party. Fearing these men. Peter knew the truth had proclaimed the truth, but now, because of fear, he acts in contradiction to that very truth. He's being a hypocrite. That's what Peter's doing right now, as Paul says, in a moment. He's being a hypocrite. He knows the truth. He's proclaimed the truth. God has revealed the truth to him. But now he is acting in contradiction to the truth because of fear. In this moment, Peter is being a coward. He fears these men above God. He is fearing man more than he fears God in this moment. He knows what the truth is. He's preached it. He's proclaimed it. He's seen it coming from God. And he's being a hypocrite. He shrinks back because of fear. And in this moment, we are reminded that even great leaders can fail. This this is the Apostle Peter. As I said a moment ago, what the word Cephas, the name Cephas means, rock. Peter the rock, the Apostle Peter. He's failing in this moment. He's falling. And so we are reminded that even great leaders can sin. Great leaders can fail. Great leaders can, because of fear, like Peter in this moment, shrink back. And we're also reminded of the the power of influence in this passage as well, because what happens next? Paul says in verse 13, And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. These men put pressure on Peter. He folds because of fear and because of his influence. You know, Peter being a great leader, one of the pillars in the church, the rest of the Jews, they see what Peter's doing. They see that Peter gets up. He quits eating with the Gentiles. He walks away. And you can imagine that the rest of the Jews, you know, they're kind of conversating among themselves. What's he doing? You know, what's going on? Why is he moving? Should we be moving too? I mean, this is Peter we're talking about. Maybe maybe we should just, you know, fall in suit. And they do. One by one, they get up and they walk away. They quit eating with the Gentiles. They get up and they walk away. Also because of, of fear. The power of influence. Church leaders 
leaders of this church, Alds Chapel. We're not necessarily given the same measure of influence that the Apostle Peter has in this moment, you know, being an apostle, speaking the authority of God when he preaches the gospel. But we have, in some measure, been given an example to set before our brothers and sisters in Christ as leaders of the church. We have a measure of influence to the people that we serve that we are called to lead by God. People look up to the leaders of their church. How do you use that influence that you've been given by God? Elders and deacons. And not only how do you use that influence here on Sunday mornings, you know, when we gather together and you're walking around and talking to people here on you know, in the church building, it's very easy to use influence in a, in a good way, you know, here on Sunday morning, right? How do you use that influence Monday through Saturday? How do, how do people see you when you leave from here and you're at your workplace? Or when you're at your house, what you watch on TV, how you spend time with your family, how you love your wife, how you love your children? how you talk to people. When people see you, would they be tempted to stumble, like here, with the Apostle Peter? You know, in this moment, Peter's influence is causing other Christians to fall, to fail, to stumble. Would they do that if they saw you? Also, Christians, again, every person has a different measure of influence that they've been given. You know, leaders of the church, myself included, being a pastor, you know, my life is kind of put on display. Elders of the church, deacons of the church, our lives are put on display in ways that other Christians' lives are not put on display. But Christians in general are all called to be representing the gospel, representing Christ our Lord. So every one of us, in a way, when the world looks at you, they should see the truth of the gospel being put on display. They should see in some measure the character of Christ being put on display. So what does the world see? Monday through Saturday... What does the world see when you're at your house? What do they see by looking at your life, what you watch on TV, how you talk to your, your family, your husband, your wife, your, your children, your parents, how you spend time with your friends, what you do with your friends, what you look like at work? Would they see a hypocrite acting contrary to the gospel that they proclaim with their mouth, with your mouth? Do your actions also proclaim what your mouth proclaims, the truth of the gospel? Or do they see a hypocrite? Do they see somebody who folds in fear 
You know, we boldly proclaim the truth on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday, when the pressure of the world starts to crush down on top of us for whatever reason, do we fold? Do we say, ah, you know, in this moment, I, I know the truth of the gospel, but I really don't want to make this person mad. I really don't want to cause a problem. I don't want to cause any type of, you know, argument or whatever. I just, I want to go with the flow. You know, are we like that? Or are we like Paul, as we're going to see in a minute, who stands for the truth of the gospel, who's willing to contradict and oppose whoever he must for the sake of the truth of the gospel? We need to examine ourselves as we look here at the example of Peter. because We don't need to be too hard on Peter because we are the same. We have the tendency to fail. We have the tendency to succumb to sin. And also I don't want to be too hard on Peter as you know, I talk about him being a coward in this moment, him with his actions contradicting the truth of the gospel because later Peter would repent. He would see where he was wrong. And he also, in Acts chapter 15, would stand up before all of these people who were criticizing the truth of the gospel. He would stand before them and say, No, God has proclaimed salvation for Gentiles just like He has for the Jews. The gospel comes to us all in the same way. And then Peter would later go on to write letters like 2 Peter that we went went through not too long ago, where in that letter he was being very bold, right? Writing against those false teachers as we saw in Peter's second letter there. So Peter would later turn, he would see his error, and he would stand for the truth once again. But let us examine ourselves. Let us look and see how our influence is received by others. What do people see when they see us? Do they see the truth of the gospel? Do they see someone who loves their Lord Jesus Christ and is willing to stand firm in it? Now, how does Paul react to everything that's going on? How does Paul react to this situation? How does he react to the fact that Peter has withdrawn his presence from the Gentile Christians and the rest of the Jews have also withdrawn their presence as well because what Peter has done. How does Paul react to this? He tells us in verse 14, But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. Don't you just love the Apostle Paul? I love the Apostle Paul. I'm so glad that God in Christ saved the Apostle Paul and made him the man that he was. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? He calls him out. For some reason, whenever I was studying this passage, I I couldn't help but picture like a cafeteria setting 
I mean, I, I don't necessarily know what the setting looked like. Maybe they were eating in, in a house church, you know, a household, someone's house that they had opened up so that the church in, in Antioch there could meet. Or maybe they were out in the open, I'm not sure. But wherever they were, Paul walks in, he sees what's going on, he sees that Peter has withdrawn his presence from the Gentiles, he sees that the rest of the Jews have done the same thing, and I imagine he's probably looking around, maybe he asked somebody, uh, one of the brothers there, he's like, what's going on? You know, why, why has this separation occurred? What, what's happening here? And somebody tells him, and I can just imagine he's, you know, a face of disappointment has just come upon Paul. He sees right through it all. He's not pleased. And he is not about to go with the flow at all. He sees it as hypocrisy. He sees it as it is. Peter and the rest of the Jews are hypocrites in this moment. And so Paul calls out Peter. He says, man, what are you doing? How can you, a Jew who's been living like a Gentile, now try to force the Gentiles to live like Jews? You can't keep the law. How are you going to force them to now keep the law? He's contradicting the truth of the gospel in this moment with his actions. Because as Peter had seen, when we were reading in Acts chapter what was it, chapter 11? Yeah, chapter 11, verses 1 to 8. As we were just saw there, God had revealed to him the truth. The gospel does not depend upon these dietary, these food laws. But now, he's saying that with his actions. He's telling the Gentiles with his actions that you must become like me, you must Eat like me. You must follow these laws so that you can be accepted on par with us before God. That you can be accepted before God and that you can be on the same level of Christianity as we are as Jewish people. He's saying that with his actions. And Paul's calling him out. He's saying, no, you're a hypocrite. You can't keep the law. You just proved that you can't keep the law and now you're trying to make them keep a law that you cannot keep. Salvation doesn't come through the law, as Paul's about to expand on, beginning in next week. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time there, because we're going to start getting into that a little bit more, beginning in verse 15. But salvation is not dependent upon works. But Peter's contradicting that right now. So Paul calls him out and he tells him what he is. He says, you're being a hypocrite. Also all the other Jews as well, you're all being hypocrites. Now, why does Paul do this in public? You know, why does he have to do this before everybody, as he says? Before them all, I called Peter out. Why does he do this? Why didn't he just be like, Peter, I got a word with you, man. Come on, apostle to apostle, let's go over here, let's talk. He doesn't do that. Why does he do it publicly? Peter's sin was public, and it resulted in the sin of others. So the, the opposition to Peter also needed to be public. When you have public sin that leads to the, the downfall or the sin of other Christians, there must be public opposition. 
Now, on the other side, you have private sin. When someone commits private sin, then the opposition or the confrontation can be private. But here, that's not the case. Peter had sinned before them all, and it resulted in sin in the other Jews as well. So Paul confronted him, he opposed him publicly so that they could see the error, so they so that they could see that this is wrong. Public sin, public opposition. So that's why he he opposes him the way that he does. Paul's not just trying to be he's not trying to make little of Peter. He's not trying to demean Peter. He's not trying to make much of Paul in this moment. He just wants everybody to know, hey, right now, you are not in step with the gospel. This is wrong. The gospel is not being represented how it should be. He wants that to be on display for everyone. And also, going back to his argument that he's been doing, the Galatians probably heard about this. Antioch was not all that far from where these churches were located. If you were to look at it on a map, the Galatian Christians would have heard about what happened there and the fact that Paul opposed Peter publicly. It was not in private. It was, it was not hidden. So in this moment, Paul's bringing this up to them because he's again showing them, I'm not a man pleaser. Does Paul, the apostle, look like a man-pleaser in that moment? Does this look like a person who seeks the approval of man? Does this look like a person who is dependent upon his apostolic authority on the other apostles? Does this look like a man who is dependent upon the other apostles for his gospel message? No. If he was a man-pleaser, if he was dependent upon the other apostles for his apostolic authority and for his gospel message, he wouldn't have opposed Peter in this moment, would he? No, he wouldn't have. But he does. And it shows that Paul's not a man-pleaser. It shows that his apostolic authority is directly from God Himself. That his gospel message was given to him through God in Christ. And so again, Paul seeks to please God. He seeks to please Christ. Christ is his master. He is concerned about the opinion and the thoughts of Jesus and no one else. If Christ is not pleased, then something is wrong. Paul is not concerned about what other people think about him, about his message, about his authority. He is concerned about God. And so, for the third and final time now, Paul has brought before us evidence that show that the message that he preaches carries the authority of God. The authority that Paul had been given comes from God. His apostolic authority was given by God. His gospel message. He received it directly from Christ. Going back once again to verses 11 and 12 of chapter 1. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. 
For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So for the third and final time now, Paul has proved that to us. Do you believe him? Do you believe Paul's argument? Do you accept the words of Paul in this way that he's saying? Coming directly from God. The gospel coming directly from God. That This is God's message to you. Also, what are some ways that we can be guilty of the sin that's going on here. You know, this separation from the Gentile Christians. What are some ways that we tend to separate ourselves from other people? What are some ways that we tend to, to add to the gospel? As Paul, excuse me, as Peter was doing here with his actions. How about race? or ethnicity, separating ourselves from people who don't look like us, whether they be black or Hispanic or Chinese or Japanese or Korean or whatever the, the race may be, whatever the ethnicity may be. Do we separate ourselves from these people? Put yourself in the Gentiles' shoes in this moment, the Gentile Christians in that context. I wonder how they felt in that moment. Here you have brothers and sisters in Christ, justified by Christ alone. They stand on the same ground. When God sees them, He sees His Son in them. They are equal. But in that moment, the Jews were saying to the Gentiles that you are below us. You must do these other things to be right with God, to be like us. Now, we're not necessarily doing the, the same thing that they were. We're not telling other people that may look you know, differently from us, whether it be because of race or ethnicity or economic status, or maybe they're just different from us. Maybe their personalities just don't quite you know, coincide with ours. If you separate yourself from these people, you are saying that you, know, you are in a way below me. You don't deserve you know, my fellowship. You don't deserve my, my love. You know, I am looking at you in this moment differently from how God views you. God has justified that person through His Son. How can we act otherwise in that moment for whatever reason? How do we add to the gospel? Do we, do we preach the gospel? We tell people that you need Christ, but you also need to come to church. Do we preach the gospel and tell them, well, you also need to give your money to charity, to this church? Do we preach the gospel and also tell them that they need to live a moral life, that you need to have your P's and your Q's in order. Now don't, don't misunderstand me. Those things are important and you need them. But that's not what justifies you before God. Coming to church does not justify you before God. Giving your money does not justify you before God. Living a moral life 
does not justify you before God. No, what justifies you before God is the gospel. Faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. These other things are a result of when that happens. You come to church because you've seen Christ and you want more. You give your money because you've seen Christ. And you say, money is nothing. Give it away so that I can help others. You live a moral life because you've seen Christ. And you say, I don't want to live like that anymore. The way that I've been living. I don't want worldly things anymore. I've seen Christ and what He has done for me. We must not confuse these things as a as a part of the gospel. They are the result. So may we be careful and examine ourselves again how our influence is treated as Christians, as leaders, how we treat other people, our our brothers and sisters in Christ, you know, separating ourselves, treating them differently in a way that shows that they're not, you know, seen in God's eyes as He says in His Word through the power of the Gospel, like His Son. And let us be careful not to add to the Gospel when we preach it to others. Father, we come before You and we again thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the power of the Gospel and I thank You for the Apostle Paul. I thank You for the evidence that he laid out here in chapter 2 that we can know that these things are true, that the gospel message that he preaches came directly from Christ, that his apostolic authority came directly from you, and that he's not a man-pleaser. Father, help us to follow in his example. Help us to stand firm in the gospel, even when the pressure of the world is put upon us. And also, if there's anyone here that doesn't know the power of the gospel, they haven't seen Christ in this way, in this saving way, as Lord, Savior, and their highest treasure. May you convict them of their sin and may they receive it. May they delight in Jesus. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.